I wanted to, to use the opportunity, with a lot of challenging questions about citizenship and identity, to, to take a little bit of a step back in this workshop and to really learn together, spend some time learning together and with each other, from each other, and reflecting on questions of characterization and identity, um, and specifically questions of characterization and identity in biblical narratives in, in the literary sensibility and how many of the questions, the difficult questions of insider-outsider status, multivalent personalities, differentiated identities, um, are actually right, they're very modern and present and present and pressing questions, but they're questions that are, that are rooted in our tradition. They're ancient questions, the insider-outsider status, what it means to be a Jew in the diaspora, what it means to bring our different identities to different parts of our being and ourselves. Um, I've thought about this a lot in terms of my own shifting identities. As we move through life, we inhabit different identities, different spheres. As I've moved with my students, I've taught um, for many years high school, uh, high school Talmud and Tanakh, and now I'm here at Rishout, primarily in, in the role of Director of Community Engagement, also running the immersive high school summer program, which brings young women from around the world um, to that immersive learning environment very much with the questions of identity, um, adolescent identity uh, on their minds. And, and so I wanted to take the time together for us to learn together to reflect upon that process um, and really look at the literary elements together that raise these questions that are nuanced questions in our text, specifically looking at Esther and Ruth, the characters of Esther and Ruth. And sort of with all of this as, as background, in many ways when we look at names and descriptive terms in biblical narrative. They're incredibly important tools in terms of understanding what the narrator wants to tell us about particular characters, how characters and identities develop, how they change, how characters view themselves, how they're viewed by others, um, what others think of them, which part of their identity do they want to bring to the fore, which part of their identity are they hiding, receding back into at different points in their, in their development. And there was a, a wonderful study of kind of all the characterization tools <coughs> and developments ran a long time ago, a while ago, by Professor Adele Berlin called Poetics and Interpretation of Biblical Narrative for a schematic of kind of what we're talking about. Many others have written about it, but that piece just stands out in terms of my own, um, in my own reading. Um, but what are the types of things that we might look like? I'm going to open with some examples, some texts outside of Ruth and Esther, and then we will spend some time learning together with some guided questions. I'm specifically looking at these two characters. But just to give a flavor, and, and you should have on the sources in front of you, when we look at developing characters and developing identity and narrative, we look at you know, actually how the text or the narrator describes the characters, what physical details are included. Right? Some examples. It's important, it's significant that we are told that Bathsheba was beautiful, Asaph was hairy, Ailey was old, and his sight was failing. Right? And even though we may, you know, we may have these descriptions, we are never really given a full sense of the characters to help us visualize. But we have a taste, a touch, a bit of a glimpse. Um, we also get to know characters by descriptions of their inner thoughts, what they were thinking, what they saw, what they understood. Some examples, right? The beginning of the book of Samuel, we are told that Eli thought that Hannah was drunk. Right? That gives us a certain sense. Our initial impression of him is not anything about his 
right, service in the temple, but his inner thinking that we would never know unless a narrator planted that in our mind. And that sets the framework for the relationship that will emerge, the identity and the shifting identity, ultimately when he realizes that right, he made a mistake. Um, we're told in Brishit chapter 37 that the brothers saw right, that their father loved Yosef more than they loved that. And they hated him for it. Right? There's multi-layers there of nuance and understanding and perceived you know, perceptions of what others were thinking that gives us a large sense and a portrayal of characters. Um, we also can achieve characterization through characters, through own speech, um, and oftentimes through their very lack of speech, their actions without their speech. So, right, just last week, Abraham at Akhidah does not say anything, but there's a string and momentum of actions and verbs and what he does. That gives us a strong sense of his identity, his character, right? Who he was is determined in many ways or spoken to us by what he did and less by what he said. And we can achieve characterization through contrast, right? Different kinds of contrast. Contrasting one character with another character. Contrasting a character's actions with earlier actions by the same character. Or contrasting actions with the, with the expected norm. All of these things, right, when we put them together, give us a sense of the character and the identity and the shifting um, identities. So I just wanted to take a few moments to look at a couple of textual examples before we break the Chabrutah and look at Esther and Ruth. And um, if you just turn to the second page, the first page of your source sheet just had a little bit of an outline of kind of what I ran through. Um, <coughs> there are an extra story. Here they are. Great. I want to look specifically at names um, as descriptive markers of identity and name changes, and then some more subtle techniques, uh, signifiers and titles and descriptive terms that are used. So names and name changes in Tanakh and biblical narrative reflect a change in status and a change in identity um, done by a particular character on their own or by someone else. So the very, you know, sort of first example that you have, and this is very famous one of Yaakov, when Yaakov no longer inhabited the role of Yaakov and his name actually here in, in this, right, the text that you have, the direct name change, Vayomer Elav, Mashemecha, Vayomer Yaakov, Vayomer Lo Yaakov Yemer Ochimcha, Ki Yisrael, Right, this is in the, the, um, on his way back from Lavan's home in Pazan Aram to Pnaan. We find Yaakov left alone at night. He spends the night wrestling with the man right, until the break of dawn. And the strange man who Chazal say is an angel says to Yaakov, Your name is no longer Yaakov because you've fought, you've contested with human beings, divine beings. Um, Right, this angel and Lavan, and you've prevailed. You are no longer a person who has capable of getting places through trickery. That's no longer you. And your name and your change and your status right, is reflected in that very, very direct name change. You're able to confront people like you did, and so now your name needs to reflect that change in your identity. And so we see here there's this case where it's sometimes others that are changing, the, you know, changing our names Right, as opposed to changing our names ourselves to reflect that change um, in identity. Another example with, uh, with the use of, of name is actually the use of the particular signifiers, not so much the name, from the next source in the book of Samuel, Shmuel Aleph Perak Chet, 
where here we have um, Shaul's choice right, of signifiers for David. Throughout, say, throughout the book, right, David is identified very clearly by name. Shaul, the king, knows his name. It's used many times. And yet, in the 20th chapter, when Shaul asks, Yonatan, he's expecting, the context is David has this, um, this meal, this set meal with the king. He's supposed, to, right, he's supposed to, to, to show up. He doesn't show up. Shaul is suspicious. He wants to know what's going on. He asks Yonatan, right, he wants to inquire why David's not here. He doesn't call him David, even though it's the 20th chapter in the book. Uh, and we know that's his name, and we know he's used that name. He says to him, Vayomer Shaul Yonatan Beno. Madua loba ben yishai gam tmol gam hayom al halachim. What's the significance of using ben yishai? Doesn't say David, right? There's this sort of derogatory, you might say, sliding term, bringing a piece of David's whole identity in a very subtle way to the conversation. He maybe, you know, he perceives him as a threat at this point, and so he's not referring to him as David, but he's referring to him. Wants to go back to that time when. He's just a kid, right? He's just a Ben Yishai. There's this significant identity marker there where David is something, right? He has approached a certain place in his trajectory, and yet the very subtle descriptive term that's being used by Shaul kind of brings him back to a former place of his identity, latent with all his, right, his history, his historical narrative, his familial pedigree, how that then comes to the fore in terms of you know, the presentation of Zevi's identity um, as a perceived threat to Shaul at this time. Another very interesting example, later on in, um, in, the, book, in the second book, Shmuel Beth, second book of Samuel in the sixth chapter, also involving David, but it's David's, right, not, not David's name, um, what we see here is narrator's description and choice of modifier, which becomes very significant, less than the character themselves, but the kind of omniscient narrator. In this example, David has been king for a while, so we're sort of fast-forwarding it. He's married to Michal, the daughter of Shaul. Shaul is long dead, and yet when, in Michal's opinion, David is acting like a commoner, the narrator introduces the statement by, by calling her Michal Bat Shaul. So we see in the Pasuk, David's returning back from defeating the Pishtim, bringing the Ark, bringing the Aron to Yerushalayim. Michal's looking out the window. She's standing. She's watching what's happening. And she sees David jumping and leaping and whirling before God with the people dancing around the Aron. And what does she say? Right? Does the narrator say? I'll read the, the Pasukim. The David v'chobe Yisrael ma'alim et Aron Hashem b'tura v'chol shofar. And Michal, the daughter of Shaul, is looking out the window. And she sees the king David leaping and whirling and jumping before God. And she despises David for it. But it's very interesting here. And it's very clear, actually, that who's objecting to this behavior of David? It's not Michal, the queen, right? It's Michal Bachaul, Michal the princess, right? It's interesting that the, uh, that the narrator adds that. That's the piece of her that's objecting to this behavior. This is not dignified behavior of a king, right? And so we see that in a very subtle, I'm, I'm sure there are, hundreds, not thousands of examples. I picked out just a few examples where we see it's not 
the direct name or a name change reflecting any kind of status, but very subtle usage of terms, terminology, descriptive markers, titles that give us a sense of an identity and a conflicted identity, right? This is an identity that's latent within her that's coming to the fore from that very small use of Bacha'ul, which then brings a whole different dimension of her identity uh, to the conversation. Um, and, and so these examples are, are, are really examples, um, not just that names and titles are significant, right? That's something very basic we know, names and titles are significant. But that they're not just interchangeable ways of referring to the same entity. They carry with them a reflection on character, a reflection on identity, um, on the identity of the protagonist, either from the protagonist themselves or the narrator, or kind of the common reflection um, uh, of the community of readers and learners when learning these texts. And so what I wanted to do today, sandwiched between a couple of frontal lectures, was actually not give you a frontal presentation, but really guide our learning discussion, um, specifically looking flip to the next page. I don't have tons of time. I need another hour and a half, but all right, we'll do 25 minutes. Um, looking at a close reading of Esther's character, right? specifically her introduction in Parakbeth, how she's introduced, what terms are used, how does that influence our initial impression of her. Um, there are a number of you know, questions on that second chapter in Esther, and then skip three, flip to chapters four and five, to look at a little bit more about her development and how sort of the literary sensibility in the text pushes to the fore what we understand about her development. So there are a series of questions, um, 10 questions for thought as you read through those prakim. For, for Mijivat Ruth, I kind of assume we wouldn't have too much time to include questions for Chavruta, but if you have a chance and you want to look at the characters in Ruth, identity and character transformation in Ruth in many ways, builds upon the idea of, of progression in titles. And so if you want to, you know, highlighted some of the who came here, um, but if you finish Esther or if you decide to start with Root, you might want to learn with an eye towards how the characters refer to themselves vis-a-vis -vis how the character or, or how our characters referred to by others. And so we see some very different descriptive markers when we look at the particular characters giving themselves names and modifiers and how others refer to them, really kind of pushing us in this trajectory of progressive character and identity development. Um, so, so what I think we should do, what I would like to do is maybe if everyone can you know, turn to the person next to them, find the Chavruta, and we have the whole baby drash. So we have about 20 minutes before lunch. Maybe it takes 10 minutes to kind of just get our teeth into the text and, you know, kind of work through some of the questions. Um, and, and then we'll reconvene to hear from one another what spoke to you um, about character and identity development in this very short, like, taste of, of the text. So, so um, I feel like Issues of identity about Esther that maybe emerged in a very short time, but a short time that we have 
um, about her presentation and how she comes to the fore. Uh, some which from her introduction to hear from you some opening thoughts. What's interesting about how Esther emerges on this scene? What's significant about her introduction? And, and what did that kind of, like, what kind of initial impression is that? that it's hard for them to see their blind So is there some way you can pull down the Her father is identified. Introduction or initial impression of her. Uh, we also have to that it's the introduction of um, Esther, but really the passage that we read out loud is Mordechai. Um, that it, it foreshadows the duality of the two of them, and that at the beginning it's Mordechai who she, she calls the shot, and it's only later on as she develops that she finds her own voice. That was what was. And the second thought that I just had, the discussing, that perhaps she could in herself, she's motherless, she's fatherless, but her claim to fame is reviewed. And that's why that highlighted here, even before it's pending of the beauty uh, pageant. Okay, excellent, beautiful. I, um, there's a, okay, so, just what's her so Debbie, Debbie references two things that are interesting, that even though Esther, right, we have an introduction of Esther, the pasuk that we actually read out loud, 
right? When we read the Megillah, is about Mordechai. Ishiyudia Yavashishana Mirash, Mor Mordechai. That's the kind of right, the focus. And so there's there's this tension duality between the Esther and Mordechai role as to who's calling the shots, right? That's going to be the, our initial impression. The, the fact that her introduction is sandwiched in between his introduction and that we highlight his character from the very get-go kind of gives us this sense of right, the duality and the tension between the two of them. And actually, if I could just take it a step further, uh, you know, it, throughout Paragvet, and here you, know, you have the questions if you want to work through the text in a more rigorous way, Esther is entire, she's obedient. Right? is the verb form. It's a passive verb form. She's passive. She's taken. She doesn't reveal her origins because Mordecai told her not to do so. In in Parikvet, Pasuk in 20, she, again, there's a certain obedience. Um, and she, she ends up, two Pasukim later, becoming active, but active to Mordecai. And if you look at the verb form, there's the verb form Tziva, commanded, that we see over and over again in... in um, in Parakbet, and then again in Parakdalid, Mordecai is commanding her, commanding her, commanding her, so we see that from the get-go, and then we kind of have this reversal, where she ultimately, she ultimately asserts herself, and is the one who grows into the role, but we see that tension duality from the very beginning, and it's only after sort of a fair amount of time in the palace, she's there for a while, right? This isn't overnight, this is years of being imbued with that, um, with that culture where she really integrates that sense of I can I can be the one who's giving who's issuing the commands. That's the first point. The second point, they remind me there's a name. Right, that her self right. She she comes to the scene, she doesn't have parents, she's an orphan. Her self definition perhaps in being introduced this way, the narrator is trying to tell us, is that the marker of her identity maybe, that is the one that is most salient, that speaks to her, is her beauty. Um, and it's very interesting, actually, that later on, when Mordecai tells her to go to Ahasuerus and to go as the seductress, right, how does she go? What does she wear at the beginning of the fifth chapter? Right? She goes Bamachut. With her royalty, it doesn't say crown. It just says she, she, she appears to mortify the machut, her, her royalty. Meaning, it's not to Achashverosh. It's not her. Um, it's not the beauty and the seductive nature, which actually we would think all along is the piece that's going to push, right, drive the story. But she recognizes that it's the royalty that she sort of inculcated the presence itself. That is what is very appealing to Achashverosh, and so when she actually right is between these two men, listening to one, right, Mordechai, you need to go to the king, go with your beauty. She opts not to, and she opts to go with that piece of her identity that comes to the fore, which is her royalty, which is her dignity, because she recognizes that's what speaks um, to Achashverosh. Well, I read it the other way, in the sense that the first time she's introduced is not with her beauty. I mean pointed it out, it was in between two things. Okay. So uh, I, I viewed it as, oh, we have to say that she's beautiful because that's why Akash wants her. But uh, that's not who she really is. She's this uh, from an aristocratic family. She's she's a, she's a, a real person, a mortified, you know, a Benjamin. Right, fabulous, right? The whole other way of looking at this actually, it just depends what we're highlighting, is that her beauty has to be stated at the beginning because ultimately that's what will drive 
right, much of the narrative in the story. But, but it's a side point. It's not that she comes from stock. She comes from royal stock. She's, she's engaged. She's interesting. She has it with her. Um, so her beauty in, in that way is, it's an, as a footnote, that's very important, but it's not the totality of her being. And again, knowing the rest of the story will shift our sort of perspective as to how important that is um, at the beginning. Thank you. I, I, as a guy, I never don't find any Jewish connection of But Hadassah, she, she has a, 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 a central identity as, as, a, as a Jewish. She, again, she emerges on the scene with that duality, with that double identity. Um, but what's very interesting is in the rest of the story, what is the name that's used? Esther would never see Hadassah embrace again. What we do see at the end in Paraket, Chavtet, is when she is called Esther Bach Abichayel. We don't have the full Esther Hadassah Bach Abichayel, but we do have some kind of connection, linkage back to her lineage at the very end when she assumes that leadership and she's still, right, she's positioned in the Jewish community. She reclaims to some extent her Jewish identity. So it's just very interesting to link the beginning, right, her Hebrew name with her Persian or Babylonian name, um, and then the end of the story, right, the interim is her foreign name, much like Daniel and Yosef. We have a similar genre here of characters in the diaspora who are, right, informed by their foreign name. And it's only at the end where we see there is some, to some extent, some reclamation of that Jewish identity, but not a full reclamation because she's not Hadassah Bas Abifayel. She's still Esther Bas Abifayel. But there is that kind of hybrid um, assumption of, of, of her identity. Yeah. Very interesting. I never thought of it that way. But again, what's interesting, uh, there's two layers that are interesting. That very fast is a very interesting um, point to think about. But also, again, how Esther then would be identified through Mordecai's right, lineage. Um, I, I I'm, well, kind of want to be sensitive to everyone's lunch, so I'm happy to learn over lunch and talk over lunch. I want to end with just kind of one, one point we ran through. Um, in many ways, what we see throughout the story, and we'll have to leave roots for another time, um, we see Esther on this kind of liminal position, right? When she's standing at the threshold, should she go in at the beginning of Parakeh? Should she stay out? We have these two people who are kind of pushing and pulling her, and there's a sense of, what do they want her to do? What does Ahasuerus want from her? What does Mordecai want her to do? And we don't really know what Esther herself really wants. She's kind of always navigating what others want from her. And it's hard to look at, right, the protagonist in the book is named for her, and we glorify her and her family and her position, and we talk all about, right, having a role in diaspora to advance the Jewish people, and Esther being the one to embody that role. 
Um, but that sense of what does she really want, what does she really think, we never actually know. And so that's a piece of her character and that's a piece of her identity that's hidden, it's clouded, it's shaped and informed by so many others. Uh, and I think maybe we can say that the point of this is actually we are shaped by what others demand from us and push us to do and expect us to do. So even though, right, we can ask the question, what does Esther really want? Who is Esther really? Um, she's really just a pawn in the game. Actually, if we right, look at it another way, we could say, well, th that's what... That's what Developing as a person is, right? What does it mean to develop as a personality? It means to have others right, push you. Maybe may not just mean you got to this position of malchut, but that you have become a person of malchut by virtue of the individuals in your life that propelled you, that pushed you forward. Now that other who pushes us forward could be Mordecai, it could be Ahasuerus, it could be God, right? It could be any individual in this uh, narrative, God, nothing in this narrative. But uh, it's just interesting to think about it, going back maybe to the language of, of the Ramban on the Akhidah talks about the purpose of Nisayon. What's the purpose of Nisayon? And Nisayon, the Ramban says, is a test is lehotzi hakoach min hakoach el hapoach, right? To actualize your potential. So perhaps this is the idea. Very briefly, if we take one point away about identity and character, perhaps this is the biblical idea of character, right? Character is not stable. Character is not predetermined. Character is differentiated. Characters move and shift and change, and people change and become the great people uh, that we read about. And we become, right, Esther, so the question of well, what did Esther really want, what did Esther really think, we can kind of emerge from the story and say, well, she became something by virtue of all these other forces that are in many ways acting upon her, but to say that she didn't emerge as an identity, an entity in her own right, um, is kind of a misunderstanding of what it means to become a biblical <coughs> character that, um, that, that we will read about.